in Romans 12, and uh, the title of this morning's message is called Salt Reduced. It'll make sense when we get to the end. Who likes baked beans? Love baked beans. Love baked beans. I always add chili. I always add chili to mine. Who adds chili to their baked beans? I don't buy the chili beans. I just add my own chili to the beans. Fantastic. Awesome. Baked beans. All right. Um, Romans 12, that's a series that we've been talking about the last few weeks, and I want to concentrate today on verse 16. Get this to work. It's on, Michael. There we go. (laughs) Okay. New King James says this, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Philip's modern translation puts it a little bit differently. Live in harmony with each other. Don't become snobbish, but take a real interest in ordinary people. Don't become set in your own opinions. New Living Translation, again, some similar thoughts, but again, different. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud. (laughs) Go on, Paul, just go on, just go on, wand away. I wouldn't drink that coffee after you go on ch 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 like that. <laughs> Whose coffee is that, by the way? <laughs> is it Ryan's? Ryan, that's okay. Ryan's new to the church, so it's okay. Ryan can get away with anything. Ryan, get as many coffees as you want, mate. <laughs> he can have a drop of Kahlua in his if he wants it. I don't care. Like, can... It's all right. All right. Concentrate, people, concentrate. New Living Translation. Live in harmony. Everyone say harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Message gets a little bit more blunter. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Who loves Eugene Peterson? He's just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Anyway, uh, let's snapshot again, right? So many commentators say that the Romans is the gospel according to Paul. Uh, Godet, the great uh, Swiss theologian, he called it the cathedral of the Christian faith, the book of Romans. Um, Paul wants the church in Rome to know how to live as Christ's people in the midst of a, of a pagan metropolis, a pagan city. That's what Rome was. And he wants this church in Rome who are scattered across homes all across the city, not necessarily gathered in one place, but across homes, because Paul greets at least 30 of them during this letter. And uh, he wants them to know that despite your uh, uh, lack of understanding regarding your Jewish roots, I want you to understand how to live for Christ in this city. So we we can learn a lot from the book of Romans. It's a masterpiece. First 11 chapters outline the righteousness of God and who we are in Christ and great themes around the death, burial, resurrection and the fact that our justification, our salvation, our reconciliation back to God and our ultimate glorification, all, all the themes are in there. You want us to discover those themes? Romans has most of them. That's why we call it, or most commentators call it the gospel according to Paul. The book of Romans pivots at chapter 12. Something changes in the way it's written and and it begins to focus on our behavior, 
uh, how we should live for God, right? Um, now that we've established our righteousness and uh, that we have righteousness only in, found in Christ, how should we outwork that? How, how should that impact the way that we live? And if I would be as bold to say to you today as well, I believe that Romans 12 also has a pivot point. Straight after the, the talk about the gifts, there's this, this, this line we spoke about the other week in verse nine, it says, let love be without hypocrisy. And I believe it's an axiom point in the middle of Romans 12. A lot of things flow out of there and flow from that idea, let love be without hypocrisy. James highlighted that the other week when he spoke as well. You see, in ancient Greek, the, the uh, hypocrisy, the hypocrites were actors, stage actors. What do actors do? Pretend to be someone they're not. Pretend to be someone else. Hence the idea of hypocrite. They were stage players, they were actors, and they wore masks is what they did. Here's some of those masks that they, that they created and used to wear. There's one in particular, um, second column, third one down. If you, if you Google masks, that one there comes up quite a lot. Sorry, the, the second, second column, second one down, that comes up quite a lot on Google. Um, and these, these, these um, actors would wear these masks, and notice there's a, a piece for their mouth so they could speak through it. Uh, in the same way, we should not, when we, when we love people, should not to pretend to be something we're not. In other words, Paul is advocating for the real deal. This is a great message for Australians because we're supposed to be fair income people, right? I, I think if, if, if we were to state some core values, I'd love one of the core values of our church to be fair income that we'd be authentic people, real, inside and out, in church and outside of church. We're still the same people, right? And I believe that's what he's batting for, authentic, sincere, honest, and Christ-like conduct. Okay, so back to Romans 12, verse 16. This is what I see when I look at this verse. I see one command or one directive and then three how-tos is what I see. What's the command? The command is, be of the same mind toward one another, and then what follows is three ways to achieve that. Say with me, all right? So be of the same mind toward one another. There it is again, this alalon, alalon. Everyone say one another. Now try alalon. Alalon is the Greek word. Now listen, it appears 110 times in Paul's writings in 94 verses. It appears 10 times in the book of Romans. It appears three times in this chapter. It's a big deal. He's repeating himself over and over again. When he talks a lot about how churches should operate, he uses the law of one another. Not pastoring, one anothering is what he, what he talks about. Over and over again, he's repeating himself because that's the central idea around it. Okay, um, I think I've got a few of them on the screen. Here we go. This, that's just a, a few that's quickly hashed up there for you right? Notice love one another appears at least 16 times, okay? Uh, one another, one another, one another. Some of us are good at some of these and some of us are not so good at some of these things. We've all got work to do. We're all a work in progress toward greater Christ-likeness. But here's this great one. He says, be of the same mind toward one another. Altos phroneo alalon. Be of the same mind toward one another. Uh, that's Paul's directive because, why? Without this same-mindedness, unity is not possible. Commonality is not possible. Harmony is not possible. Family is not possible without this same-mindedness, 
okay? Various versions try to affirm what Paul was saying in practical terms. Here's a few of them here. New King James, be of the same mind toward one another. The new living, live in harmony. The passion, live happily together in a spirit of harmony. The CEV, be friendly with everyone. Living Bible, work happily together. Message, get along with each other. Each one of these translations are trying to pick up this central idea. But I guess in some ways it's the Syriac Bible, the very early transcripts, which really pick up the idea so well. It says this, what you think of yourselves, think also of your brethren. Wow, who's convicted by that? What you think of yourself, also think of others. Who's challenged by that? Am I the only one in the room? See, this is the idea of this, this same-mindedness, right? That I would, I would think not the same as you, but I would think the same about me as I do about you. Because how many of you know that it's okay to disagree? So let's get caught up in the same mindedness. We're all, all going to agree together. We should agree on the main things. That's why unity across denominations is possible. That's why parachurch and church can work together. That's why, uni that's why unity is possible amongst denominations who have different creeds of faith as long as they agree upon the main things. James nodding his head, right? We've had long talks about this. As long as we agree upon the main things. So it's okay not to agree on everything, but we've got to agree on the main things, right? So, and this is how Paul wants us to live. He wants us to agree upon the main things, right? Now, remember that in Romans 12, it started with an appeal, right? to be conf not conformed to the world, but to be transformed, having our minds transformed, okay, which will cause us to live in God's perfect will. How do we discover His perfect will and live in His perfect will? By having a transformed mind. So He's advocating for our minds to be changed, and I'm advocating for you today to have a change of mind as well, okay? This is what this Romans 12 passage is about. Okay, so now true unity has diversity. Who would agree with that? In fact, there's some great texts written around this. Diversity and Unity, if you look that book up, it's a, it's a theological heady book, but if you like that subject, that's a good book to read. Diversity in Unity, right? It's not conformity or uniformity. How many of you know this morning we're singing about the Trinity? How many know that, that there's sameness but difference? Sameness but difference, Father, Son, Spirit, right? Different but same, God, Yeah? All right? If you can catch that, capture that idea, that's what he wants for his people as well. That we're different, but we're the same. All right? We're one body, but many different people. Different functions, different gifts, different personalities, but together we are one. One. And that's what he's advocating for. One Lord, one faith, one Bible, one truth. Now, let's talk about these three how-tos, because that's really where I want to go this morning. Okay? Remember, one command, the command was, be of the same mind toward one another. Okay? Now, uh, but there's three things there. These are the three how-tos that I believe he was talking about, right? So if we wanna be of the same mind toward one another, then therefore, he says, do not set your mind on high things, right? But associate with the humble and do not be wise in your own opinion. Now, let's unpack these three things, okay? Because they're not exactly what you think they might be at first glance, okay? Here's the first one. Do not set your mind on high things. The Greek word there is hupsalos, hupsalos, okay? Um, let me say this, do not set your mind on high things is not the same as setting your mind on things above. Now, Paul wrote that, right? Paul says, right, in, not just in one text, but in a few texts, he says, set your mind on things above. That's not the same as setting your mind on high things, 
right? Because high things are not heavenly things. That's what I want you to understand here, okay? High things are not heavenly things. High things in this verse is the Greek word hypsalos, which means lofty. There's some ideas for you there. Lofty or to be high-minded. Thinking too highly of yourself and in the process despising others, right? Grasping at things that are not for you, that are too high for you, and seeking great things for yourself, including wealth, honor, and praise, and glory. That's called setting your mind on high things, Right? It's, it's, almost, it's almost attached to Lucifer who committed the original sin, I will be like the Most High. He appealed to, to be greater than God, okay? Right? It's that setting your mind on high things, grasping for things that are high and not necessarily heavenly. It's okay to grasp for, thing, grasp for things that are heavenly, but not for things that are high, right? Okay, I know, I know I've opened up a bit of a can of worms there, right? But high things... There are some things that we should not be grasping for. Now, uh, perhaps we'll come back to that later on, but there's that Colossians 3 verse 2, if I put that up there. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things for those who are listening on the podcast. Okay, here's the second one, right? Uh, he said to associate with the humble. Now, that's an interesting one because it's ta- tapenos here, which is an ag- adjective, which means it's describing a person who is of low estate, cast down, depressed, not the way that we understand it to be today with mental health issues, and humiliated in society. So straight away in the first read, you say, that's right, yeah, I should only hang out with humble people. Right? It's not saying that. Right? It's actually saying, hang out with people that are of lower state, that are lower than you in terms of socioeconomics, lower in education, lower in every way. And understand, this was a big issue. Remember, who's he talking to? Well, we have to adapt it for today. Right? But in context, who's he talking to? The Romans. The Romans, the empire. Right? And this was a big thing about having castes and grades within their system. Okay? This, this, is, this is the reason why the Phillips Modern Translation and the New Living Translation, the Living Bible, called hang out with ordinary people. Wasn't it just create a different word around the, the idea of humble? You know, being not proud. Or hang out with people who are not proud would be a great translation, right? You with me? No, it's not saying that. So that's why sometimes when we read the Bible and we see, this, we see these English words, you understand English is weak compared to the Greek, right? And the Hebrew as well, right? It's weak. English is, we say it's the dominant superior language and it's a beautiful language, don't get me wrong. I love, I love English words, I, I do, right? But it's weak in comparison. Some of these Greek words are so descriptive, they're so full of ideas, much more than what, an English word is, okay? That's why the English, the English Standard Version said hang out with the lowly, right? And that's why the message says hang out with the nobodies. Now, not that anyone's a nobody, but he's talking about who you consider to be a nobody, is what he's saying. Hey, listen, Roman church, if you're gonna have an impact on this city, right, learn to hang out with people who are not like you, that are lower than you, because that was a big deal in Roman society. There was an elitist idea, okay? Um, the Passion Translation, um, which I don't think, did I put up there? It's up there, yeah, great. It says this, and be as mindful of one another's worth as you are of your own. Wow, isn't it a great thought? Some of you don't like the Passion Translation, but that is a great thought right there. It actually is echoing the Syriac Bible that I quoted earlier about this idea about the way you see others 
or the way you think about others, think about yourself also. The author, the writer of the Passion Translation is picking this idea up as well. Let me say it again. Be as mindful of one another's worth as you are of your own. In other words, see people as worthy. Regardless of their status, regardless of their income, regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of their gender, we're supposed to consider people to be worthy. Why? Why? Because Christ makes them worthy. Right? People made in the image of God. Right? Remember when I spoke about, the, about Peter and John? This is not in my notes. Get sidetracked for a moment. Peter and John, remember the, the message about stopping at the gate beautiful for the man, the beggar who had been there, who'd been laid there daily at the gate? who they said was 40 years of age, so it's probably since he was a young boy, he was laid daily at the gate, and people would just pass him by. But Peter and John elected to stop. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have in the name of Jesus, get up and walk, and gave him his life back. You see, why did they stop? Why did everyone pass them by, yet the two Christ followers stop? Because they didn't see a beggar. Like he matched, he would have, he would have looked like he was part of the pavement. He was always there. He was always there. He lived close to the ground, right? But they stopped. On this day, they stopped. Why? Because they saw someone made in the image of God worthy of a miracle. Amen? And that's what he's saying to the Roman church. Okay, number three, do not be wise in your own opinion. Phronimos, wise. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Would God, listen to me, unpack this with me, would God ever ask you not to be wise? No. So clearly we have to talk about what this word wise is, right? I mean, all of Proverbs is really written around the foolish and the wise, right? It's got so many instructions for life. Who likes reading Proverbs? Give me a wave. Who hasn't read Proverbs for a while? Give me a wave. Okay, you should read Proverbs. They're great, right? The Bible advocates for wisdom, but it's his type of wisdom, we're supposed to be wise in his eyes, not wise in our own eyes. And he's saying here, many of you in this Roman church are wise in your own eyes, wise in your own opinions that you've crafted out. You see, this idea of phronomos is not the same as Sophia. Now, remember, Sophia is the word for wisdom, the Greek word for wisdom. The early orators, the great orators, people would go and listen to these guys speak nonstop for two hours without notes articulate, the great sophists they were called, purveyors of wisdom, right? We call them orators, they were called sophists. And they, after the word Sophia, as in wisdom, they were the ones that were speaking wisdom into all the world. Their writings were documented, written down, and became the, 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 the great philosophies of echoing the Socrates and the Platos and all these guys. That's who they were. It was, a, I, mean, I mean, speaking in public was like a sport, you know, I mean, Roman, Roman citizens went to the Greeks to learn how to speak in public because the Greeks were the masters at it. The Greek philosophers were the smartest, most intelligent people in the world at the time. The Romans were, felt they were backward behind that and because they were elitists, they wanted to learn from them. So they would, they would raise their sons up and pay a lot of money and send them over to Greece to learn how to speak and come back as an orator. Like, you know, fancy, you know, big crowds following you, right? Okay. Uh, so Sophia is higher. It's God's wisdom. It's, it's, it's spiritual. It's revelatory. It's Bible-based. Phronomos is more rationale. It's knowledge. It's intellect. It's skill. It's acumen. It's, it's brilliant. We all have it, right? But it's not the same as godly wisdom. And so he's saying, okay, even though you've 
rationaled and worked it out and did the study and got your deal going down, right? Still, don't think you're a know-it-all, right? I guess the will be, and I won't say it. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna say what the, average, what the average Aussie would call us if we were talking like that all the time. Um, uh, what I'm saying here is that even though you've crafted out your opinion, still don't think you are right in every way. Okay, now this is leading somewhere. You're thinking about, what's this got to do with salt or juice? We're getting there. Um, this is why the King James Version says this entire verse differently. It says, do not, this part of the verse, sorry, do not be wise in your own conceits, is what it says. In your own conceits. You know when we call someone conceited? Right? Someone said they conceived a set of principles that they live by and they're not teachable and they push back on you all the time and they're very, you know, set in their ways. And he's saying, you know, we, if we're gonna influence the Roman city, we cannot be like that. Your intellect and your rationale may be good, but don't be a know-it-all. You may know a lot, but don't be a know-it-all. Amen. Who finds that challenging? Okay. So why was Paul saying all of this? I just thought, just want you to look at the ocean for a little bit, right, just chill. Okay, let's go. <laughs> that's, that's, our, that's our happy place for me and Nikki. Okay, okay, rapid fire. Couple of quick reasons why. Why was Paul saying this? Number one, because again, it's impossible to be of the same mind toward one another when you think you know better than everyone else. That's the reason why he was saying it, right? If you always think you're better than everyone else, you'll never be of the same mind. You'll always think you're the one, that you are. Everyone has to agree with me. That's the only way we're gonna agree is if you agree with me, right? That's why in verse three, Romans 12, he said, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. He's repeating himself, folks. He said it in verse three. He's saying it again now in verse 16. In fact, he said it in verse 10 as well. He said, in honor, give preference to one another. He's someone who knows it all, doesn't give in honor preference to someone else's opinion. So he's repeating himself yet again. He said it in verse three, verse 10, now in verse 16. He's saying the same thing again. And he's saying it to who? The Romans, because obviously it was an issue. It was a lot of opinions, okay? Number two, why was he saying these things? Because he was being countercultural. You see, Roman society was elitist. It was empirical. It was authoritative. It was privileged. Everyone was trying to climb the ladder. Pretty much like today, everyone's trying to climb some sort of ladder to get to somewhere. Um, commentators, Keener and uh, Towner, two different books, two different authors, um, both wrote around, for example, about Roman society, and in particular spoke about the role of women in Roman society. Very interesting books to read, right? Interesting commentaries. I had to do that for one of my subjects. And um, they spoke about the new Roman woman. The new Roman woman was someone who, a woman who pursued autonomy from her family, independence, but she was also self-indulgent, right? And they spoke about how, this, and, and why in the early church they had to address this, which is why you sometimes get some of these false teachings around women, try to silence women, which is not the case at all, right? Um, trying to give some sort of direction to the women who were trying to break away from their family responsibilities in the church to become one of the new Roman women in society, okay? Which also created classes and factions. So he was being counter, he was totally being countercultural by saying that there is no class inside the church. 
you with me? This is pretty what he's addressing class in the life of the church. Why is Paul saying this? Number three, because it's possible that wealthy and elite people will becoming Christians, right? And of course, how many of you know when you become a Christian, lots of things change, but not everything changes. How many realize you've still got some unlearning to do and some new thinking to do? Romans 12, verses one and two, right? Some new thinking to do. It's possible that the wealthy were getting converted, right? And therefore, he was introducing them to not Roman culture, or an acceptable culture to adapt into, but rather kingdom culture. Now, we know from various people, in fact, we heard this week from Peyton Jones, who said that Priscilla and Aquila clearly had a lot of money, even though they weren't elitist, they were tent makers and friends of Paul, because they owned a home in Rome, and one in Corinth, and one in Ephesus. You don't get to own three homes, not even in those days, unless you had some money. Okay, so, and Priscilla and Aquila, by the way, were in the Roman church because he greets them in Romans 16, verse three, okay? So he's addressing all of these issues. You may have money, you may have more money than someone else inside the life of the church, but don't think you're better than them, is what he is saying. Have we got that? Right. Number four, why was Paul saying this? Because truth, this is where we get to where we need to go, because truth is the foundation for same-mindedness. Let me say that again. Truth is the foundation for same-mindedness. It's not someone's opinion. It's not culture's opinion, political opinion. What keeps us together, listen to me clearly, what keeps us together is truth. Opinions come and go. Fads come and go. Trends come and go. Strong teachings, strong emphases on stuff will come and go. But truth, 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 truth remains. Truth is the foundation. Truth will keep us together. Can you say that? Look to the person beside you and say, truth will keep us together. I won't do it. You see, this was countercultural. I was listening to N.T. Wright speak about this particular subject. This is what he said, right? He said, every empire had their own truth or their own version of the truth. And it was true for the Roman Empire as well. They built their own truths, right? Now, I've been to China 20 times and I'm, I loved the Chinese people. I can tell you right now, China and communism has their own version of the truth. Right? Now, I'm not picking on the Chinese because we can go across to lots of other nations around the world. Even Australia, we've got our own version of the truth as well going on at the moment. Right? Right? Every empire has its own version of the truth. So, Jesus and Paul have a discussion. Pilate says to Jesus at his trial, he says, uh, are you a king? Jesus says to him, it is as you say, I've come to speak the truth. Speaking truth to power. See? So he doesn't say, oh, I'm the king and da-da-da-da-da. No, no, he says straight away, he goes straight for the jugular. He says, it is as you say, I'm here to speak the truth. And Pilate replies, what is the truth? And then walks away. Because he knows he makes his own truth up. What is truth? Right? We all have our version of the truth. Remember that. Right? The more, the more we become word-focused people, Bible-centered people, Christ-centered people, the more our version of the truth becomes His truth. Let's all, just, let's all just fess up for a moment and realize we're not there yet. None of us are. We're all still learning, okay? So when you think, this is where we're going now, we're gonna come to an end, right? When you think you know you have the truth, right? When you think or know that you have the truth, it is easier to become elitist it is easier to feel you're superior. It is easier to be opinionated. 
It's easier to be biased and it's definitely easier to be prejudiced. Are they not the things that are aimed at the church? Why? It's not that we don't have the truth, it's how people hear it from us. This is where I wanted to go. Because this is what he was saying to them, right? See, knowing the truth and knowing Jesus who is the truth are not the same. Now, how can I say that? How many believe that there are a lot of people who don't know Jesus who know truth? Lots of people know, know portions of truth and truth, right? There's, there's truth only exists inside the Bible. There's truth beyond the Bible as well, don't forget. There are truths, there are truths, right? This table is real. Is that a truth or not? Okay, you got me now, right? It's a truth, right? The table's real. If I jump up in here a lot, it probably will break, right? Especially with my weight. Will it do that? It's true, right? So you're with me? There's true and truth. But knowing truth is not the same as knowing Jesus who is the truth. Because truth is not an idea, truth is a person. You see, and the more you know Jesus, the more you discover the rules of life, the truth of the world, the truth of existence. He is creation, he was there at the beginning. Hello, he's truth, right? So you can have truth and versions of the truth and never really know him. You see, when we know the truth, elitist, superior, opinionated, bias, we use it as a power tool. You see? so easy to use truth that you know as a power tool to try and fix everything around you, including broken people. Here, have a dose of this, it'll fix you up. You know? It's not the same as knowing Jesus and then we become his tool. We become his instrument. We become his vessel. We are the, 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 we are the, the light shining through broken jars. Yeah? You know what I'm saying? And we become who he is in the world. Rather than using, I'll use it, instead of getting the Bible and bashing people with it because I want to fix your life up. You need to hear this. It'll fix you up. You know? That's not the same. Even though what you're holding in your hand is the truth and even though what you've got in your heart is the truth, it's not the same. They will know your stuff but still not know Jesus and all of that. That's why I say to people, right? Okay, bring people to church is great. Bring people to Christ. Because church will disappoint but Christ never will. Right? Okay, I don't know if that messed with your head or whether it helped you or not, but anyway. So when we speak or share truth with others, do we sound elitist, proud, prejudiced, biased, superior, opinionated? Do we? Are we like a drill to them? Are we like a jackhammer? Are we like a crowbar? That's Jesus. <laughs> Joking. <laughs> Joking, my friend. <laughs> Do we sound like a scraper? You see, it's possible that we're just using the Bible or the truth that we know as a tool, a power tool, try and fix everyone up instead of just being Jesus to them, letting the truth come through, the person that you know inside of you. See, remember verse nine, their swinging point, let love be without hypocrisy. Um, so here we go. When we share the truth, what, what should it look like? I'm gonna finish with these two verses here. What should it look like? But speaking the truth in love. Therefore, putting away lying, let everyone speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. There it is again. Paul wrote Ephesians. He also wrote Colossians, Colossians by the way. So he says it again here. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, 
redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. So when we speak the truth, it is to be in love, with grace, with salt. Let me say it again. When we speak the truth, it should be with love, in love, with grace, with salt. Thank you, Tanya. Why? Let me tell you why. Because the truth hurts. The truth hurts. That's the reason why. How many of you realize that? When someone says something to you, it's truthful and you know it is, but it really hurt you. Now, the truth will set you free if you can endure that pain. You see, here's the deal with truth, right? Truth will set you free, but it's painful. It can set you free, but it requires metanoia. It requires honesty, conviction, and turning away from something and turning towards something, right? But truth is required in that process. Okay, so when truth is presented the wrong way, it's rejected. Let me say it again. When truth is presented the wrong way, it's always rejected. And this has been certainly the experience of the Australian church in Australia today. C.S. Lewis said these words. He said, it matters enormously if I alienate anyone from the truth, is what he said. So why is this, uh, why is this, I, I wanted to park on this idea and finish with this. Why is this with salt? Like I get in the in love bit and I get the with grace bit, but with this, with salt. We're gonna talk about that right now. Thanks, Doc. We're gonna talk about that right now, right? You see, did you know that in ancient Israel, every offering they brought before the Lord to be burnt had to be seasoned with salt? Even the grain offering. It reminds me of some barbecues that I've been to. Get a choice piece of meat, get the best cow or the best lamb, you know, season it, and then burn it to a cinder. <laughs> That never happens with Pete and M. Ever, 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 right? But there's been other barbecues that I've been to, right? Um, I never know when to stop cooking the meat on the barbecue. Who's, who's like that with me? Is there one the only one? You know, who uses, you're looking at me going, you're a strange man, sorry. I'll come to your place, you eat. Okay, quickly, let me summarize. Salt speaks of purity. Soul speaks of purity. They say it can, it's, 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 it's a, a pure, a, a, it can't be broken out. It's purity can't be broken, right? Our motive should always be pure. When we are sharing truth with people, our motive should always be pure. Not to get one up on them, to make them look bad, embarrassed, or to have it in for them, or to make them feel convicted. I'm right, you're wrong. So he's saying, with salt, with salt. Make sure your motive is pure. Next one. Salt is precious. Do you know in, in the, some Roman soldiers were paid in salt? When they didn't have enough coins, they took salt instead. How, how, how you imagine being your wages and what did you get this week? Michael, how did you go at work this week, Michael? And Michael says, yeah, four kilos of salt, mate. <laughs> it meant something to them. Therefore, it's precious. Listen to me. The message you carry is precious. Don't distort it. Don't twist it, it's precious. And understand this, the people you're talking to are precious as well, right? Well, we should always give it our best. That's why we're told to study God's word, right? Be clear about what we're sharing with people. Also, salt preserves. Before they had fridges, they used salt. Salt cures meat, preserves the meat, right? My dad used to do that with, um, with fish and meat as well. He used to cure it with salt. 
Uh, when we come to God, this idea of sacrifice, we don't come with spoiled flesh. We've been preserved by the righteousness of Christ. Does it make sense? We're not spoiled anymore. We've been saved. We've been set free. We were once unclean, but now we've been made clean. We were once outside of Christ, but now we're in Him. When we come to Him, we come because we've been salted by Him, right? We are preserved by His righteousness. So when we speak with people, let me say it again, there should be pure motives. Understand our message is precious and the people we're talking to are precious. Don't ever take that for granted, right? Regardless of what they may look like in your eyes, they are precious people. And let the truth do the work. Don't ever try to save them. You don't save anybody. Never try to coerce them, force them, change anyone. Now, of course, in all of this, Paul was talking also to the church about how they related to each other, not just how they related as a group of people to the pagan city they were living in. So we are meant to be salty. In conclusion, we're meant to be salty. Um, in, five, in Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, you are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth, you're the city set on a hill, right? What does it say about the church? It says, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its savor or its flavor, it is good for nothing, to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men, which is what the Australian public are doing to the Australian church, because we've lost our saltiness. So in conclusion, let's not live salt-reduced lives. Amen? Let's be salty. Okay. Why with the salt? That was all that stuff I was talking about just then. I just like the picture. Okay, there you go. Table talk. Enjoy. God bless you. Oh, for those who are listening on the podcast, the table talk is when you speak with people, whether it be at church or home or work or the gym or the shops, to what degree are you loving, gracious, and salty? Right? Are you sometimes careless, selfish, too busy to care? Why? Are you sometimes opinionated and biased? Why? Are you sometimes salt reduced in your conversation? And why would that be? Amen? God bless you. Have a great week.